Good evening, everybody. Uh, welcome along. My name's Ash, uh, one of the pastors here down at Christchurch Escape. Um, we're in the last of our series, The Way of Faith. <clears throat> Hope it's been helpful, the essential elements of the Christian faith. And this week, our question is, uh, and I think it's apt uh, that we're here, given that we can't meet, is uh, why do Christians meet? And maybe you've been listening into the series um, so far, or maybe you've come to their conclusion so far that you're okay with the idea of God, uh, you're okay with the idea of, of Jesus, and you're working through even things like your own part in this story and need of change and salvation and all that kind of stuff. Maybe you're okay with the Holy Spirit and you're okay with the Bible, uh, but like, uh, like my kids sometimes, maybe you ask the question, why do we need to meet? Why do we actually need to like, come together? Why do we have to walk all the way through Escape? past all those cool places and meet together? Why do we have to sit next to that person that we don't really like? Why can't we just, um, why can't we just exist as some nomadic spiritual being? Why, why do we need to come together? Why do we need to meet? Uh, so hopefully we're going to answer that question. We're going to move on to a, as you may have noticed, Marisa read a different text. We've been in Mark 1 pretty much the whole way through, um, but I was stretched as I tried to think about the church. And we've come to this summary passage at the start of the book of Acts, uh, which kind of, it kind of condenses in this, little, in this little text. It's similar to Mark 1 in that it gives us a big picture of something, and it gives us a big picture of the church. It's kind of a summary of what they were doing. And as with, um, so I'm being careful, as with any text, uh, you've got to pay attention to the circumstances and the culture around about it. Just, for example, just because um, just because the Bible somewhere uh, commands us, as it does in the letters, commands us to greet each other with a holy kiss, or just because we read about um, an Israelite guy who grew his hair and went about clubbing people to death, just because it says these things doesn't mean that we necessarily need to, to do these things. So we need to, with, with all texts, but particularly with this sort of text, and we need to be really careful and we need to be really smart. So we look at it and we go, yeah, I see how it was. And we need to dive into it and find out the principles. And this text speaks so loudly, I think that we can do that. So that's, that's what we're going to do. We're going to pay attention to this church. And I, it is a bit of a formula for church, but we read through, if you read through the book of Acts, if you're into this kind of thing, you'll see that church models change up a little bit. Different things happen, but there's some real good core principles here. There's just this four really. And I want to kind of bang through them because, because I, want, I want you to want to meet. Um, I want you to mourn not meeting. I want to explain why I think it's really crucial that we meet as much as we can, even if that's meeting on Zoom, even if that's ringing each other up, um, but essentially coming back here uh, to Christchurch. So there's four reasons. So you sort of be able to tell how far along through the sermon we are. And I'm, I'm going to try and be like three minutes with each reason, maybe two and a half. Okay, so first reason, jot these down. The first reason we need to meet together is because we need to be devotees of a different message. We need to be devoted to a different message, to, to the message that's out there. First verse says, they, well, they devoted themselves to a bunch of stuff. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. So this is the story in Acts, is the story of the early church. Um, We've had Jesus, we've had his ministry, and the apostles have picked that ministry up. Those 
words of wisdom, those actions of Jesus, and they've treasured them, and they're passing them on. That's essentially what the story is. So it's things like, so just just try and unravel what some of Jesus' wisdom was, some of, some of Jesus' teaching was. Things like, and as I start to say them, you can add your own to them, being a good citizen, being a good neighbor, may mean compassion for somebody who doesn't share your values. Your worth is defined more by what's inside of you uh, than possession or works. Anybody can be forgiven. And we need to forgive over and over again. And this, this early church heard this different message. They heard this different message from the apostles. And they're living in this Greco-Roman cultural uh, like storm, cultural worldview that's like all around them, which is telling them different stuff than this message. And they recognized the value of this message. They recognized the good in this message. And they said, we need to be devoted to this. So they got together in their little churches scattered around Jerusalem at this point, and they devoted themselves to these teachings. They tore into them. They dwelt on them. And they sat together and met with each other. And <clears throat> a lot of them would have been Jews, and they would have been talking it all out, debating it all out, really getting underneath the skin of some of these commands. You know, what does it mean to love your neighbor? What does it mean that anybody can be forgiven? What does it mean that we need to uh, look to the grace of God? What, what do all these things mean? And they would have been digging around at this and they would have been devoted to it they were devoted uh, to the apostles teaching um there's some really good in our society today there's some really good life mantras there's some really good life-affirming positive messages out there some proper good ones but i think that the main thrust the main messages come from the big themes, maybe even the, the, the main gods of our contemporary world, money, sex, power, those kind of things. I think those messages permeate through society right into our cores. We absorb them into the core of our beings. I, 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 don't, think, I don't think there's ever been a time in human history where we've been this sort of shaped where we've been this vulnerable to being this sort of shape. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe we have. Maybe a historian would tell me differently. But it programmed feels like a bit of a strong word. But the amount of times we, the cookies, get after us and shape our worldview to this and that. And we, we, maybe, maybe we don't even really notice it until we, until we get a pandemic and we see ourselves uh, beating each other up for toilet roll and things like that. Or we get the school report home from our kids and it's telling us about what kids get up to and we realize that we, we see uh, how many of them are being exposed to pornography and, and what's going on. We get a glimpse of the messages that permeate our world. When we meet together, when we meet together as church, when we gather together, when we get in under this roof, like, like the people of the Old Testament did and like the people of the New Testament did, we place ourselves under God's message, under his word. Some great pictures in the Old Testament, particularly um, book Ezra and it's Ezra and Nehemiah. Um, when, when the people first get, they get the book of the law back and um, they all sit underneath. It's read out in the public, in the center, in the town square and everybody comes out and the message of God, his message goes over them all. And the Levites, the little priests, they run about and make the meaning known. They explain what's going on. 
they devoted themselves to it. When we come together as God's church, like the people of the Old Testament, like this early New Testament, we say in like this backdrop, the culture of our times, with all these really strong messages, some of them good, some of them indifferent, some of them not really that helpful, we say this message of Jesus, these teachings matter. And as we, as we devote ourselves to them, as we, as we take our places in the seats of church, as God's word, like Marissa just read, is read out over us and we put ourselves humbly under it and then we talk about it and we hold ourselves to it, then we might have a chance of living it. But as we do that, we say to ourselves and we say to each other and anybody watching in, this matters. This countercultural message matters. That's the first thing. We need to be devotees of a different message than the, than the message that's out there. If we're not devotees of this message, and let me tell you, it's a good message. It's a brilliant message. Read what Jesus said again. It's perfect. It's brilliant. If we're not devoted to this message, it will wash over us. So they thrived as they were devoted uh, to the message. Second thing that we need, second reason that we need to meet, not just because we need to be devoted to a different message, but because we need to be devoted to each other. We need not to be too soft. Um, we need each other. We need to be devoted to each other. 2 verse 42 says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. We, we live, um, and I'm not berating the modern world. I love the modern world and all its, all its trims. Love it. But we live in, uh, perhaps more than at any point in human history, we live in individualistic times. Uh, it's probably not been that way throughout the rest of history. We've been more grouped. We've been much more tribal. But now we, we process things in a very individualistic way. And when we read the Bible, I don't know if you do this. I certainly do this. We, we read it like it's just written for us. And like we just consume it like it's, it's just for us. The, the, but the Bible, I think, I was going to say often, but on reflection, I think more often than not, more often than not, it speaks to, to groups. In the Old Testament, the stories are about a group of people. In the New Testament, they're mostly letters <clears throat> to groups of people, groups of churches. And we do this Christian thing together. And whilst we make a personal profession of faith, much of our experience of God much of our experience of salvation, much of the change that will go on in us, much of the benefits of all that kind of stuff, that's going to come from other people, how we interact with other people. And we get this word uh, fellowship. So I don't know hardly any, certainly not enough Greek, but this is one word that's that stuck. I think it stuck a little bit because my Bible teacher, whenever he used to say it, and you don't really need to know this, but it's just popped into my head right now, he used to flick it, it might help you remember it, he used to flick his hair back as he said the Greek word, koinonia it is, fellowship, um, gospel partnership, spiritual sacrifice. The word fellowship, it's become a bit uh, benign at the moment. It's become a bit soft. When we think of fellowship, we think of quiche and tea and tilted-headed smiles and handshakes and things like that. When the Apostle Paul, particularly in his letters, wrote about this idea of fellowship, used this word koinonia. 
he saw it as like dynamite. He saw it as like um, like the new bit of tech that comes that means we can communicate with everybody. You know, the new app for your phone that everybody's got to have in order to communicate. He saw it as just this essential communication tool. He saw that it's this essential element to the spreading of the gospel. He saw it as crucial. Spiritual partnership. And we see the fellowship, we see koinonia working out. So it's really worth just reading through Paul's letters. He bangs on about it all the time. We see it working out in all sorts of different ways as people went into each other's homes, as people looked after each other, as people prayed together, as people served each other practically. Even as a guy called, um, so this is in Philippians, a guy called Epaphroditus did a thousand mile walk uh, from Philippi to Rome and back nearly killed himself so that Paul could have some money. That is fellowship. How we how we partner together, how we look after each other as we serve God, as we serve that gospel story. Absolutely crucial. Two things I think it does for us. The first one, and I, I need this, and I'm quite, a, I'm quite happy in my own company, but fellowship, serving with each other, and I think this is one of the reasons we're struggling. It keeps us going. That would be the first thing I would say. It's one of the essential tools to keep us and this story of ours going. We need each other. We need to interact with each other. As we think of God and how we serve him, uh, and as we look around, moved by other people, and as we engage with other people, we need that sort of connectivity and that connection in our life. That's the first thing. It keeps us going. But the second thing, I think, our practical acts of kindness for each other Declare God to each other. This is what I think. I think we get to know him. I think we get to know him better as we, as we mix, mingle together, as we see each other, as we encounter each other, as we fellowship together. I want to read a little quote by a guy called C.S. Lewis. If you come along to the book club, you'll have read a bit of C.S. Lewis. You might have also read some Tolkien, and you might have read some Charles Williams. And C.S. Lewis wrote... A little extract when one of his friends, Charles Williams, um, I think the lesser of the three authors, certainly in my opinion, he, when, when he passed away, he wrote about his about the impact of friendship. Just stick with me. It's not, that's how big the quote is. It's not that long, but just stick with it. It's a great quote. In each of my friends, there is something that only some other friend can bring out. By myself, I am not large enough to call the whole man into activity. I want other lights than my own to show all that. Now Charles is dead. I shall never see again Ronald, that's Tolkien's, reaction to a joke. Far from having more of Ronald, Tolkien, having him to myself now that Charles is away, I have less of him. Hence, true friendship is the least jealous of loves. Two friends delight to be joined by a third and a third by a fourth. We possess each friend not less, but more as the number of those we share him with increases. In this, friendship represents a glorious nearness to heaven. For every soul, seeing him in his or her own way, communicates that unique vision 
to all the rest. That is why, and this is an Isaiah, an Old Testament reference, that is why the seraphim in Isaiah are crying, holy, 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 to one another. The more we share the heavenly bread between us, the more we shall have for ourselves. The more that we, in Christ, shaped by the teachings of Jesus, moved to, to care for each other, the more that we do that, the more that we receive that, the more of God we see. God is revealed in us meeting together. God is revealed in us having fellowship together in an incredible way. So we need to be uh, devotees of a different message. That's why we've got to get back. We've got to get back to that message. We've got to keep putting ourselves under that message. We need to be devoted to each other. The third thing, because we need to be inspired to live in hope that there's more. We need to be inspired. Don't you feel that at the moment? We need to be inspired that there is more. We need, we need that fuel in our lives, I think, to get through. As church, we need that fuel. It says in verse 43, everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs that were performed by the apostles. Excuse me, can you imagine that kind of a church service? Can you imagine the, I mean, they were, under, they were getting some hammer, or they were about to get some hammer from the Romans, and it was a pretty mixed bag of people. But they were soaked in Jesus' truth. They were loving it, and they were gobbling it up. They were devoted to it. There was genuine love and care spread around the group. They were praying together. They were breaking bread. They were having food together. That's what their church services were like. And halfway through this, they are sharing stories of miracles. That's a church service, isn't it? They were loving the wonders that God were doing in front of them. And they were inspired by this. And they were hoping for more. It was fueling them. It was keeping them going. This is, let me give you a, a bit of a statement. This is how I see it. God, remember we've lost sight of this. God is still a God of wonder. His people are still or are a miracle. But we easily lose our awe. We easily lose our awe for him. But God is still a God of wonder. And we should still have awe for him because he's done Amazing things. This, there's only a handful of people in in here at the moment. This church, his church, that started from a baby in a manger, that started from from nothing, that spreads like wonderfully, fantastically against all the odds right across the world. It's amazing. It's awesome. Lives that we see, um, like lost and like help, hopeless and helpless, turned back around, completely turned back around uh, because of God's work of salvation. Like our own personal stories when we think, yeah, I can't really do this Christian thing. It's too big of a deal or it's too hard or whatever. And yet that inner change in us, that confidence in the Holy Spirit that exists in us, the wonder of creation, the awesomeness of the creation that's around about us that God made that we just... I don't know, don't notice the awesomeness of that. 
the holiness of God, God seated in heaven. The, the miracles that we read of that give us hope in the Bible and this incredible future hope that we've got to come, that Jesus will redeem us and restore us. Incredible hope. And we lose that sense of hope, but we, I think we glimpse it. We glimpse it when? Well, hopefully at different times of our life, but we glimpse it as we gather together as his church, when we sing truths that remind us about him, when we sense his presence among us, when we see the testimony of others around about us, when we come together, we get a glimpse of that again. We need to meet. We need to meet together because we need that hope. I think, I do. We need, we need that hope of a miracle in our lives and we glimpse it here at church and we're re-reminded of it here at church. So we need to be inspired. And the last one, the last reason we need to meet together is because our unity in diversity declares God to the rest of the world. Our unity in diversity declares God to the rest of the world. Read with me the next bit of this story, the things that they did this early church. All the believers were together and had everything in common, everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And in that unity, in that outrageous show of love and togetherness and connectedness, and the Lord added to their number daily, those that were being saved. You see the picture that we get? It's an amazing pitch, picture. And we know, because we know a little bit about the early church, it wasn't society's finest. It was like a right mix of individuals. It was like a right ragtag bunch of, um, you know, down and outs and losers and few wealthy people and then a few Jews and then a few Romans and then somebody traveling in. It was a real ragtag bunch of people with no real money that grew. Um, one of my friends shared a photograph with me um, just this week. It came up on his time Photoshop and I wanted to show it. Um, I wanted to show it to you all, but I didn't. It was of our church. It was of a baptism of our church. Three guys got baptized here last year and the church was, and I was upset when I saw it. The church was absolutely rammed full of people. Um, and there's a guy getting baptized in the tank. Somebody took it from behind me here and it looked out over all the congregation. And as I looked, as I looked out, I thought a couple of things. But one of the things I thought, I thought, man, we are a, we are a disparate, ragtaggy bunch of people. We're an unlikely conglomerate. We're an unlikely coming. That's not, not the right word, is it? We're an unlikely coming together of people. But as I looked out, as I sort of looked across all the all of our, all the congregation, all the people that met, there were people from, I think, I think I totted them up, every continent in the world, I think, you know, born in every continent in the world. There were people of, of every creed. No, not of, not of every creed. Of lots of different creeds. There were people of every, of, yeah, I can say every class. People of every class. There was, we were such a diverse bunch. There's a really, a really odd reality to, to Christian witness, 
to to sort of getting the message out there. There's a really odd reality to it. We we can plan and strategize and sort of and people like me can say, oh, yeah, we need to tell people about Jesus and all the rest of it. But inside all of that, one of the one of the clearest ways the Bible promotes witness is just Christians in their diversity coming together. Just being able to tolerate each other, just being able to sit in a room together, just being able to live together, just being able to look after each other and pray with each other. One of the clearest ways that we demonstrate God is by the fact that we can do that. Paul uh, writes about it in Ephesians 3. He writes about the unlikely coming together of a group of people, and he says this. He described himself first, although I'm the least of the least of the, all the apostles, uh, this grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ. So we've got a bunch of people, the Gentiles, and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God who created all things. His intent was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly realms, according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Paul saying, seems incredibly unlikely that these Gentiles, these ratbags who've got no sense of God, and these Jews are ever gonna, are ever gonna unite. It's a mystery. And yet Paul says, this is what's gonna happen. And as this happens, God's glory is gonna be revealed. God's glory is gonna be revealed to the extent, and this is really beautiful picture, to the extent that the angels are going to be scratching their heads. And a world that's disinterested in God will turn its head because of the unity in diversity, because we can come together. That's why it's important to meet. Jesus, um, as he's off on his way, puts it the simplest. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, that you love one another, that you can stick together. Why do we meet? To hold on to an essentially different message. Why do we meet? Because we need each other. Because we need each other to see God. Why do we meet? Because we need hope. We need hope of a miracle. Why do we meet? Because we need people to see God. Hope that's an encouragement to you. Um, I hope, I hope we can meet uh, soon enough, and I hope in the absence of meeting, we continue to do as much of that stuff as we can. That we continue to um, hark the wisdom of Jesus and and pull in some of those one another's that He talks about. That we will bear with one another. That the Bible talks about rather. That we will bear with one another. That we will love one another. That we will forgive one another. That we will. The Bible doesn't say this, but that we will text one another, that we will check in on one another, that we will care for one another and pray for one another because we need to meet. Thanks for staying with us. If, you are, if you've been able to join us, um, we're just uh, having a little chat on the, on the sofa. Um, just like we do at home. And just like we do at home, Never. with lots of people watching Never. us. I know, I should ask you more stuff than just about your sermon today, shouldn't I, really? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, for those of you that don't know, Ash and I are married and uh, live in the same house. I should probably <laughs> probably say that. In the bubble. In, in the bubble. Um, 
Man, we've made it through the way of faith. We've talked about lots of things. Why Christians meet. Man, that's good to be reminded of some of that stuff, isn't it? Stuff that maybe we know, but... I think so, although I did think, even halfway through the preach, should I be laying it on this thick, given that Boris has said that just the other day it's just not going to happen? Maybe I should try and soften it, but the truth is I think um, his church is a really special thing. Not, And it's great that the people like me preach the word, but it's so mu- that, that is a part of it, but it's so much... So much more. I'm increasingly aware of, of the things I need from it. Just meet that, like meeting people, I think, really meeting people who are... Um, who are Christians on that journey it's just so um, important because you, just the story sharing and looking out for each other and having somebody that's bothered about you like yeah. it's I make like I'm struggling I think it's difficult without that it is I, I love that uh, I, was, I think maybe your third point maybe don't correct me on that but that idea of that we can be <clears throat> inspired and and have hope because of the stories not just the stories the miracles I thought that was quite cool, that there are miracles happening at Christchurch and that when we meet together as Christchurch, we inspire one another with our, our miracle stories. That, that's our great concept, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, like testimony and stuff like that. You know, everybody's got a story and uh, for people that are Christians, there's been a point where they've gone, oh, this, you know, forgiveness is amazing or God's got me through here or God's sustaining me right now. It's just, mm-hmm. it's an unbelievable thing. And you, I hear that. All the time, and it is you know something that we need. I think. I think even even struggle can be inspiring in others, can can't it? I mean, the high stories of like how awesome, but actually even struggle can be inspiring for hope in another way. That yeah. knowing that somebody else struggles with it, oh, I struggle with that too. How are you getting through that? So yeah, mo- I think most of the New Testament stories seem to be a the church seems to be a struggle, and yet it and yet the um, church grew and. People had, had fellowship. I hope I did that word. I hope I give it. I hope you I had the that. hair flick. <laughs> yes. I hope your previous lecturer isn't watching. <laughs> I'm going to text him. And, uh, mention it. Um, can you share? I mean, obviously, these are personal stories, and so I wouldn't want you to break any confidence and things. But confidences. But what are the what are the stories? Is there a miracle story at Christchurch that just that that blows your mind, or one that you can that comes to mind, or that you can think of? There's a couple or? that come to mind. I think um, me at, me at the start with my incredible self doubt um, and being increasingly aware that I'm hopeless actually, and God um, still continues to get me through. Um, we had people. We had somebody got. We had somebody gets become a Christian right at the start. When particularly me, I was thinking, oh, this is. You know, is this the right calling? We're doing the right thing, and um, somebody that came along to the tots group just um, came to faith, and it was just a real, and it was really simple, just like, you know, just a simple process, but it was just so mm-hmm. encouraging. Even this, even this place, I think within the, you know, yes. first week of us coming here, it was we were told that we would have to go, and um, yeah, right. I think I think. It's hard to imagine that it's not God because it just doesn't feel like it's possible to have a church here really without mm-hmm. without it being a bit of a miracle. So yeah, I've seen some. I think. Yeah, I love I love the stories of just the people who have just literally wandered in, like off the street, not because they know you or me or anyone else at church. They've just literally turned up on the door and yeah, um, lots of them. and God's been at work in their lives before they even knew God. Yeah. Amazingly and. 
uh, and then they've come to know God and just like the way then when you look back on their when they share that story and that experience the thread of God at work in their lives before they even before they even looked you know yeah. uh, change like I think when you see somebody changed it is a it is a, a miracle and I think of, often we read we read that little passage and we're looking to discover whether God's still gonna um, you know whether there's still some of the wonders that we're familiar with with in the old testament and i think i think the reality is those wonders that we read about there give us give us hope um for for, for miracles to, miracles in our own life but miracles to come as well good so i think we love the miracle stories i think one of our struggles at the moment is just that real tension in our heads i know this is definitely how it is uh, for the leadership team just how we wrestle with knowing how important it is to meet and yet there are current circumstances which impose so much on how we practice meeting hmm. how how do you as somebody in the leadership team how do you how do you balance that out how do you weigh up what the right thing to do is you know should we be pushing hard to physically get back together well that uh, just it seems fraught doesn't it it just i think we, sh we should be aching uh for it and it would be better if we could be back together i think somebody uh, a wise man once said to me you should think of church like a this is an unlikely likely illustration but bear with like a, a is it a camp a train of camels is that what you, a caravan of camels that's what you call it okay okay and so there's I've those, not heard this one before i'm slightly worried where you're going <laughs> I'm, I'm sure it was camels it might have been another animal but there was um <laughs> There were um, there's those at the front legging it off, and there's those at the back. And you've got the job of you know church is to keep the whole thing going. So part of our okay, right, I'm with you. Part of our no uh, camel left behind. That yes, kind of idea. It's the kind of idea that we need to look after everybody, and in and we have to offer best care to everybody. And I think I think whilst we are where we are, we offer best care by um, by keeping people safe. I think that's. Mm -hmm. Probably, although my heart aches and there's a big part of me wants to go, mm -hmm. yeah. um, you know, this is so. I think the other thing that we do is we, it's really good for, for us to look after each other as much as we can. I think the fellowship thing, um, the fellowship thing, I think, as I said in the talk, I think it's a, it's like dynamite for the, for the gospel story and dynamite for our faiths. And I think if we don't, you know, the big casualties to that, if we're not, if we don't embrace, what I think is this God-given thing, this, you know, hearts moved by that story to, mm -hmm. to for, uh, for each other. I think it's massively forming for us and we've got to invest in it. And also it's part of the reason why we've invested so much on in broadcasting and make sure we can do that consistently every week and why we try to go live as well, isn't it? To kind of keep some sense of that unity together so... We could pre-record everything and in some ways it might take some pressure off, but we've committed to try and go live because we do want to keep that, that feeling united feeling like we're in it together. We do. We think it's, although you're forgiven if you're watching, if it's like Wednesday <laughs> and you're on the bus. It's yeah, all, yeah. It's there's no right. issues with that. No forgiveness needed. No but forget. it starts at five. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So we are now at the end of our, the way at, of faith series um we started it back was it september i don't know <laughs> okay <laughs> 10 weeks ago when's that was it 10 weeks uh, ten, nine or 10 nine or 10 of them i think 
We've we, covered a lot of stuff. I think we've covered, I, I think there's maybe one or two other things that we could have said, but I think Jesus, God, the Holy Spirit, uh, the Bible, salvation, baptism, communion. That was six, I think. Anyway, good. And covered a lot of stuff. There's always more to see on all of it. If you've ever done a, a Christianity Explored course or something like that, then um, there's opportunity to go in, in deeper on that. And if that's something that you'd be interested in, then Ash and I would love to do something like that with you. And you could do that like on Zoom or something like that if that if that wasn't appropriate. Ash, if you had a particular favorite, a, a highlight week where, or a week where you just felt like, wow, I'd forgotten some of those truths or... That truth's really sustained me this week, or I think um, the Holy Spirit one. I think it was a. I felt like I got a. I felt like I really should know more about that. Um, the idea that he that that spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, that spirit that hovered over the waters at the start, is um, is in is in me, and that's how we how it's realized. Um, kind of blew my mind a little bit. I think it stopped me. So I think sometimes I'm waiting. I'm like, well, you know, shouldn't God come now and do this thing, this amazing, miraculous, uh, joyful thing, and then it doesn't happen. But actually... It's in you. Actually, that's, you know, that, uh, there's a sense in which I should bring it because it, God's already... You know, I think one of the things that God's Word says to us is when we go, oh, I'm waiting, God says, I've done it. You know, just, you know, stay near me. You know, real. You know, realize it. I think that's what that verse says. You know, don't you realize the spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead is in you? It's like mm-hmm. we don't. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that one, the Holy Holy mm. Spirit. Good, good. That was. I think uh, always when I'm reminded of this is just um, how unique. I mean, it sounds obvious, but how unique Jesus is. Like every time we come back to Jesus and we have a session, you know, either on a Christianity Explore course or when we've been discussing it, but when we look at the figure of Jesus and who he is, that he is God, the just the incredibleness of that, of that, of the figure that he is, it just gives me confidence. It just really reassures me that, man, he is worth uh, devoting your life to. He, he, he is worth it. He is... Um, uh, I think Ant sang that week, didn't he? Is he worthy? And yeah, I think I was yeah nearly shouting out in the middle of Christchurch. Yes, he is. He is. He, he's totally worthy. I hope that uh, the way of see of faith series has been really helpful to you. If you'd like to get in touch and let us know what your own highlights have been, or things that have challenged you, or things that you want to discuss and explore more please do. We would really love to hear from you. But we hope that you have a blessed week. Take care and hope to see you again next week. Live at five. See you later. Bye.